Hollywood in the news media portrays law enforcement officers in a rather negative way. They perpetuate stereotypes that just aren't true. Our guest today defies all those stereotypes. He was working in a restaurant business, wanted to be an entrepreneur, became a police officer. He's a retired police officer. He's an entrepreneur. He's a podcaster. He was involved in use of force shooting. He's here to talk about that, the trauma of the job, and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Want to win great prizes in awesome contests? Who wouldn't want that? It's easy. Just sign up and subscribe for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Calling us from Michigan, we have retired police officer Anthony McNeil on the phone. He's a retired police officer from Southfield, Michigan Police Department. He's also a podcaster. The name of his podcast is the Off-Duty Podcast. Anthony, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you, John, for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. One of the things I love about doing this show is that Hollywood perpetuates a stereotype of what police are like, what law enforcement are like. And I get it. I get that they have to do the whole entertainment thing. But you defy a lot of those stereotypes from how you got on a job, when you started on a job. And I just love that. I love smashing stereotypes, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, my, my story is, it's not the typical, you know, uh, military background, got out of the military, wanted to go into law enforcement. I, pretty much my entire life, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And around the age of 25, 26, you know, the bug was really getting getting to me uh, to become an entrepreneur. But at the time, I didn't have the money or the credit or anything. And I was, I had just returned home from college and I was work, actually working in a restaurant and kind of in limbo as to what I wanted to do and how I was going to get this business started. And one day, the uh, then new chief of police, uh, uh, Chief Thomas, came into the restaurant that I was working at, and I just happened to be standing up front. And he looks at me, and he goes, hey, you ever thought about being a cop? And when he said that to me, the first thing that went in my mind was, that's how I can get the money I need to start a business. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm laughing, just like you're laughing, because you and I both know you didn't get the money that you were thinking you were going to get, did you? No. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't. But I, I, I got enough to get the business started. And, you know, and I end up uh, leaving. Actually, I, I left the department after about three years once I got the business going. And I was gone for about 14 months and got the business up and running and everything. And the chief calls me one day and he says, hey, I would like for you to come back to work. And I was able to go back and, and keep my retirement time and pension time and all that stuff and still got the business today. That's the big difference between you and me. When 
I retired. I got hurt and retired. But I jokingly say, when my career was over, no one called me and said, hey, you want to come back? That 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 deal was not on the table. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, though, it, when I left, I, I, I really was enjoying the job. Um, you know, those first five years, you know, you, you, you think you're invincible. It's all new to you. And I like I say, I had no interest in becoming a police officer. No one in my family had been in law enforcement. So it was all new to me. And when I was those first three years, you know, I was really having a ball and I was enjoying it. So I when he I, when I got the opportunity to go back, you know, I jumped on it. That's great. And by the way, thank you for your service. It's very much appreciated. And you're probably the first person I have ever talked to, not the first one that went into law enforcement later in life, because I know people that went to the academy in their late 30s that I've had on the show. And we jokingly called them grandpas when they went to the academy, because I was 20 when I went to the academy. But like you, I didn't come from a law enforcement background. And I had distant relatives who were in it, but I never thought of it. I wanted to be a priest first. And for whatever reason, that, that vocation was not there for me. And I decided immediately when I was like 16 that I wanted to be a police officer. And I just knew from from that day on, that's what I wanted to do. You're the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I say, I, it's, it's funny because it, 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 the funny thing about when I got hired, about a week or so after I was hired, I get a call when I'm, I'm at home, I was off duty. And someone tells me to come into the station. Someone was a reporter was there to do a story on minority officers working in the, in the suburbs. So I said, okay, you know, at the time, this was in 1992. Um, I was one of five um, black officers on my department at the time. And the, the new chief then just happened to be black. And I get into the station. There's no reporter there, but there was a photographer there. And, you know, we take all these pictures. I never talked to a reporter or anything. And I about four days go by, my mom calls me, and she goes, hey, did you see your picture on the front page of the newspaper? So what are the first thing I do? I run out and, you know, grab a newspaper. Come on. So tell the truth, you bought 17 or 20 copies, so you give me everybody. <laughs> yeah, I bought a few. <laughs> but was that awkward for you to, to be, a hey, number one, new on the job, called in, we're going to have a reporter there, they're going to take your photos, and we're going to make a big deal out of you. Did you feel like you were a big deal at the time? No, I didn't. It, you know, like I said, this was, it was all brand, to, brand new to me, and I was so overwhelmed with everything because that first week, you know, I was in the FTO program, and, you know, I'm in the shadow phase where I'm just observing, and I think that first week I saw things that I had never seen before in my life. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I didn't think I was anything special at all. You know, I was just still trying to learn. And, you know, unfortunately, I never did get a chance to speak to a reporter. But here I was made it into the newspaper with this big headline about minority officers working in the suburbs. <laughs> and I started reading the story and I couldn't help but laugh because the story was here I was working in a restaurant. The chief said, come in um, to his office. The next day he gave me a gun and a badge. And here I am. I'm like, that's not how it happened. <laughs> you know, I had to test like, like everyone else, yeah. you know, and lucky for me, I finished number three on the list. And six months after taking the test, I was in the academy. The funny thing is, we've been saying this forever. And by the way, I started in 1980, so I'm a lot older than you. Uh, <laughs> but we've always said, 
we've relied on the newspapers that tell our stories for far too long and they've always butchered it they've always gotten it really really wrong so i'm not surprised that they got your story wrong and it's almost <laughs> i hate to say it in, in many ways it's insulting because it doesn't take in consideration like you said i had a test i had to go through the whole background stuff i had to do this and not everybody can accomplish that as a matter of fact most people don't make it that far right and yeah, that's, that's lots true. of people wash that's out very true yeah it is and i love that you did this job i love that you were later in life you were doing something else and i think when you take that into consideration there's a lot about your story that's amazing and we're going to talk about that in a few moments but i find particularly amazing is your start in law enforcement you said a few moments ago your first few weeks you saw stuff you never ever dreamed of yeah yeah and i remember my my very first run it was a uh, fatal accident and it was a semi truck had overturned on a freeway that overpassed another road that went underneath well the driver had his window down and when the cab turned over his head hit the rail and his brain matter was literally falling down onto the passing cars going underneath the overpass we're going to take a short break we're talking with anthony mcneil he's a retired police officer also a podcaster and much more this is the law enforcement show don't go anywhere we will be right back Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Current conversation with Anthony McNeil, retired police officer from Southfield, Michigan Police Department. He's also a podcaster. The name of his podcast is Off Duty Podcast. And before we end the break, Anthony, we're talking about your career. You're working in a restaurant. The chief of police comes in and says, hey, you ever thought of becoming a cop? And you're like, I think I want to do that. And you started the whole process of what it takes to get on the job, get hired. And a lot of people don't make it through. But you did, and you were in field training. You said your first call, or after field training, your first call for service was a fatal accident, and it was a brutal one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was It was, It was. was not pleasant. The funny thing is, I don't mean funny as in ha-ha funny, I mean funny as an ironic. I remember my very first call for service, Anthony, I never made it to it. I couldn't find it. Someone else had to handle it. It, it was... <laughs> yeah, a couple days after graduating academy, we had field training in between in the academy. They went on the street, and then once you had a couple days with a senior officer, they gave you a map, your battery for your radio, you got in your patrol car. I had a call waiting for me. I never found it, ever, ever found it. But I'll never forget <laughs> the very first time I had to handle a DOA. And here I was. I was like 21. you know, And I, I thought I really knew what was going on. I had no idea. And the amount of pressure you put on yourself, is this guy really dead? Your case, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. And that outside of going to, you know, a family member or a friend's funeral or something like that, that was the first time I had dealt with a, a deceased person. And it was, it, it you know, I, I was like a deer in headlights. You know, I, 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 I 
didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't know how I was supposed to respond to this, but you know, good thing I had a, I had a, a great FTO who, who helped me get through that, that first, uh, that first bit of trauma there. Be honest. Was he rough with you? Did he like, Hey, Hollywood loves to do this thing where they slap people in the face and they shake them by the collar. We don't do that. But did they have to get your attention to say, hey, this is what you do? Yeah, yeah. He was, you know, he was strict with me. He, you know, he told me this is what needs to be done. Snap out of whatever you're in. We got a job to do. Let's get it done. And once he, you know, told me that, I was able to calm down and, and, and do what I needed to do. And I always remembered that because... I don't think had he been stern with me like that, I don't think I would have made it through the rest of the program. But he turned out being what probably my favorite FTO at, during that time. And if you ever talk to him, please tell him I said thank you as well for their service. So many people trained me on the job, and I was very lucky. I had a lot of men and women that were, um, the men were combat veterans, not women at that time, and a lot of them were, were Vietnam veterans, and they were great police, but one of the things you said that really struck home with me was, they said, you have a job to do. Do your job. This is what needs to be done. Afterwards, we'll find a way to deal with what's going on, but right now, suck it up and do your job. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a common thing, unfortunately, in, in our profession, and you know, for someone, like I say, who was making sandwiches six months earlier, that's, that's a shock to the system, you know? So you have to learn how to, to not only do the job, but you have to learn how to mentally cope with all of this. This, this new stuff that's all entering your head, you know, you have to process all this stuff. And one thing I was really good at, it, it, it took me a, a year or two to get to this point, but after that year, I really learned how to compartmentalize things, and I think that helped me get through my 20 years as a, as a law enforcement officer as far as dealing with the trauma and the things that we see on a day-to-day basis. Because it doesn't stop. It keeps coming at you. There's, there's really no break from it. And I was really good, at, and I can't say it correctly, the compartmentalizing until I think all the compartments got too full. And then eventually some of this stuff spills out when you don't want it to. Yeah, yeah. And I I experienced that my last five years on the job because I had become ill. And because of my illness, I was forced to go in and, and work the front desk, which I absolutely hated. And it changed me as a person. And I think all of that, all of those com- the compartments that were full... <laughs> They all started to to resurface, and during that that five year period, and I became a very unpleasant person to 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 deal with, you know. But it was funny because after I retired, my daughters came to me about six months later, and they said, "Just want to let you know we we've seen an improvement in your attitude." So, daughters, <laughs> you 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 have to find a way to cope with all that stuff, you know. Otherwise, they will eat you from the inside out. They, the daughters are a special gift. I have two daughters, and they have a sometimes polite, sometimes subtle, and sometimes not so subtle way of letting me know when I'm a little too rough. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, it's it's funny because, like, we started this conversation off. I, I, I've seen things that I had never thought I was, would experience. And, you know, one night I end up getting involved in an officer-related shooting, and... I thought that I would would respond differently as far as my 
my feelings afterwards, but I, I came out of it okay. You know, I, I, I had no no after effects from it, and, you know, my family was really concerned about that, you know, but like I say, going back to, I just was really good at compartmentalizing everything, and I think that really helped me. And, I, and another part I think that helped me on the job cope a lot was I, I I realized that police work was what I did. It was not who I who I was as a person. And I think that really helped me. And I think having my business to have something not police-related outside once I took that uniform off, I think that really helped me a lot. Did you find these things, like your business, family, were all instrumental in helping you maintain some sense of mental health and wellness during all the trauma? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Because anyone that's been on the job, you know that, you know, you get a run and you get a little heated or what have, whatever, or you see something that, you know, that that doesn't just sit with you very well and it, and it affects you mentally. Then you go to the next run and, you know, your mind is still 20 minutes behind dealing with what you just left. Now you're arguing with the person on this call and you just go to run after run after run like that, arguing and seeing trauma and, and just dealing with negativity. Then you go home and you walk through the door and your wife say, Oh honey, the washing machine needs to be fixed. <laughs> you know? So I think for me, when I came home to have something more, to turn my attention to and my family being a part of that and recognizing what I was going through at work, I think that really, really helped me not having to deal with a lot of the, the, the quote, demons that a lot of guys unfortunately have to deal with in our profession. Unfortunately, it is true. It happens for many, many people. When we return to our conversation with Anthony McNeil, we're going to talk about the officer-involved shooting incident he was involved in. We're going to talk about his career. We're going to talk about some of the untruths that Hollywood put out there about law enforcement officers, his career after law enforcement, and much more. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at... L-E-T radio show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T radio show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return conversation with Anthony McNeil on the Law Enforcement Today show. Retired police officer from Southfield, Michigan. He's also a podcaster. Uh, he's a businessman and entrepreneur and much more. Before we end the break, Anthony, you're talking about the traumas that a lot of law enforcement officers see. And you had your fair share that you had to go through. I did too. We share something in common, the officer-involved shootings. And by the way, when I say the media, I mean Hollywood TV, movies, news, radio, social media in particular, that gets so wrong, the officer-involved shootings. I was involved in four in 10 years. And fortunately, and this is contrary to what a lot of people believe or hear, the first two, I never fired a shot because I knew immediately the threat was over. Even though he shot at me, it was over. The second two were different affairs. And everybody survived, everybody lived. Thank goodness. There were injuries. I was injured. My career was ended because of one of them. But you had your own you had to go through. 
Yeah, it was it was funny because I'll never forget that night of the shooting. Um, it was Sunday night, about one o'clock in the morning, and I was sitting in a park talking to another officer. We were car to car, and all of a sudden, a sergeant comes on the radio and says he just had vehicle pull up next to him and saying that someone just shot at him on the freeway and the car was behind him. So, you know, immediately, you know, I take off and I head that direction. And as I'm approaching, by the time I get there, um, they had the suspect car stopped and they were conducting a felony stop. Well, as as I was approaching, I could see that the gentleman had his foot on the brake. So I knew he was going to take off. And as soon as I got close enough, that's what he did. He took off and I ended up becoming the primary car in the pursuit. Well, like I say, it was Sunday night going into Monday morning. It had just finished raining and there were no not a lot of tra- there was not a lot of traffic out. So we're going down this main road, is a four lane road, about eighty miles an hour, and all of a sudden after about two miles into the pursuit, the gentleman just dropped down to forty miles an hour. And once he did that, I made intentional contact with his vehicle and his vehicle spun out, went into the median and my vehicle veered off to the right. And it was funny because I remember sitting in the car and I could hear his engine revving and I could hear his tires spinning. And as I looked in the mirror, I could see that he was coming off of the median and that he was going to ram me. Well, at the last second, I jumped out of my vehicle and I pulled my weapon and I just I shot three times and I ended up hitting, penetrating the car and hitting him twice. And he ended up turning to go northbound in the southbound lanes of traffic. And it was just ping pong. They played pinball with him from there because he ended up going into a uh, empty grocery store parking lot. And the other officers that were traveling southbound end up taking up the pursuit at that point. And once he got into that parking lot, he just got rammed numerous times. But I still remember everything about that shooting. During the during the trout during the chase, there was a gas station that I I can clear still see clear as day. There was three people sitting in that in that gas station, and I can see what they had. I remember what they had on as they were watching as we went by and everything. Little details like that you wouldn't think would be significant, but it it like replays in your mind almost like a movie. Am I exaggerating? Yeah, yeah, and it, it was funny. I tell you, John, when, when we got to court, the defense attorney was trying to say that, you know, I put others in danger and all of this stuff. And when I told the prosecutor to go back and pull the tape, because I could remember every instance, he was trying to say that I had tunnel vision. And when, I, when they went back and pulled the tape from that gas station and they could see that my description of those people was very accurate, and I, I, I remember as I was looking through my sights on my weapon, as on, my, on my sidearm, as I'm looking through the sights, I could see my backdrop, which was a brick wall of a business across the street. And I could see that there was no cars coming. <laughs> you know, it, it was that vivid to me, you know, and it, it still is. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny when you go through something that traumatic, something that most people will, will never have to do how you remember those little things like that. Did you ever think in your life, during your career, that this would be something you would actually go through? No, no. I mean, I I knew the possibility was there, obviously, because, you know, my city that I worked in, we bordered Detroit, and we, we saw a lot of, you know, a lot of action there, but I never thought that I would be the one to actually 
have to pull the trigger and 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 be that one that that actually had to shoot someone. I remember in my experience the, the times I was shot at, and the first, I, I think somewhere deep down inside there is a denial. There is a this can't be happening. This isn't real. And, I, I, and it's all very quick. It's not like you have a lot of time to think. Did you have that thought in your mind? This can't be happening. Why is he trying to do this to me? Yeah, it was. It's like I said. It was funny because it was like even though it was very quick, it was like it was all going in slow motion. And I don't remember. I don't recall feeling like I was in quote danger or that something bad was going to happen to me. And I don't know if that was uh, my training kicking in or or what it was, but I, I never had that feeling that something bad was going to happen to me, you know. And, again, I contribute that to maybe just the training just kicking in. But for that to be my first shooting and to respond the way that I did, that's the only thing I can, can uh, attribute it to is the training just kicking in and, and taking over. It does, and there's a term we always use. There's two terms, actually. Complacency kills in law enforcement. So if you're complacent and you don't respond quickly, a lot of times you can lose your life or be severely injured for the rest of your life. The other one is you rely on your training. You really don't have time to think. And I know the media wants to make it sound like a lot of thought processes go through your head and do I do this, do that, back and forth. And it's not that way at all. It's like, I can't believe this is happening and you start reacting. Yeah, yeah. And it, ha- it, it, like I say, it seems like it's in slow motion, but it happens at the snap of a finger, and I don't think that's what a lot of people realize. You have to make these, these life-threatening decisions in an instant, you know, and it was either I shoot this guy or he runs me over, right. <laughs> you know, so. Not a lot of options there, are there? Me. Yeah. Here, here's one of the things that I've always found disturbing. And I, if, if someone asked me to describe myself, yeah, I want people to think I'm a tough guy, but I'm not. And I'm really not a violent guy and I don't respond in a violent manner. But when I've had to and please work, I've been very violent and you know, in a way, that was a big contradiction, and part of me, I didn't, I'm not comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I don't consider myself a violent person either, and, and I'm going to kind, kind of con- contradict that, because I always had a three-strike rule. <laughs> and my three-strike rule was, the first time we meet, you know, depending on the nature of the run, if I ask you to do something or, you know, move along or whatever it is, the first time you're going to get the best, most professional Officer McNeil you could ever get. The second time, you aren't going to like me. And there was never a third time because I was going to move you along. So We had the same <laughs> baseball rules in Baltimore. You had in uh, Southfield, Michigan, and it was first encounter is very nice. Second one, a little bit not as nice. Third one. You're going to jail. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. And by the way, before we go to break, one of the rules we were always taught, and I know we'll talk about this when we return, Anthony will understand it right away. You treat everybody with respect. 
until they change the tone of the conversation. Then there's absolutely no backing down. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to turn our conversation with Anthony McNeil, retired police officer, entrepreneur. He's a podcaster as well. A lot of things to talk about. You don't want to miss the place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Anthony McNeil on the Law Enforcement Show. Anthony's retired Southfield, Michigan police officer. He's also an entrepreneur. He's a podcaster. He has a successful podcast called Off Duty Podcast. We'll talk about that in a few moments. For winter break, Anthony, you're talking about three strike rule. We were pretty much trained the same way. And I ended up saying we treated everybody respect, especially in their home, in front of their friends, whatever it was until they change the tone of the conversation. And if someone wanted to, in Baltimore, he called it signify or uh, disrespect you in front of everybody, you had to be firm. And you had to be sometimes, we use what we call verbal judo. Sometimes it wasn't exactly Mr. Rogers kind of talk, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and I, when you, when you started talking, I started thinking about a, a story that I'll share real quick. And it, it actually happened my, my last two weeks of work. The young officer that was taking my place on the front desk that I was training, gentleman came in. He had just gotten a uh, defective equipment ticket from the state police for not having a bumper on his vehicle. Well, he pulls in, he comes in, he says he needs to get the ticket signed off because he had the vehicle repaired. Well, the young officer is dealing with him, and we can see clearly on the video that the vehicle has not been repaired. So for about 15 minutes, this gentleman and his officer are going back and forth, and the officer is telling him, sir, we can't sign off the ticket. And he's being extremely polite with the gentleman. So after about 15 minutes, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and I jumped up. I said, sir, take that ticket. Get the out the door. This officer has been more than polite to you. It's not getting through to you. So now I'm going to explain it to you in a way that it will. <laughs> and he snatches his ticket and he strolls out. And the young officer looks at me. He goes, was I being too nice? And I said, no, you did exactly what you were supposed to do. You are polite to everyone. But you have to understand at some point you have to take it to the next level and you also have to understand that there are some people that we deal with that only respond 
to certain tones. Yeah. And that gentleman was one of them. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. But here's what happens. They catch that on a video or on their smartphone, and that's what makes the news. And everybody goes, oh, my goodness, I can't believe how rude Officer McNeil was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, f- fortunate for us, smartphones hadn't actually come out at that time. So. <laughs> I, would, I would laugh about that, too. Because uh, I'll be honest with you, nowadays, I, I used to be anti-body camera. I, there's no way I would do the job of policing in the United States without a body camera on, filming all the time. And if we had them when I was young and on the streets, 99.9% of all the complaints ever made against me would have been thrown out immediately because they were false. Yeah, yeah. And I, I totally agree. I um, There's no way I could do the job nowadays without a body cam. And like you, it was something that I was always against. And it was not because of something that I... I would have done wrong. I didn't want a supervisor or someone to, you know, cherry pick something. You know, I stayed in a restaurant too long or something like that and give me those headaches. You know, and I was never worried about my actions as far as citizens were concerned. But nowadays, it's almost you have to have them, you know, because we have to have something to counter the narrative. And Unfortunately, right now, that's the only thing we have at our disposal is, is that camera. The other thing with the body camera was I was always concerned, and a lot of police work. I try to describe to people, it's 95% boredom. You've got a couple really hot calls where your adrenaline goes sky high, and then you've got to back down to the boredom again. But the vast majority of interactions with people were not hostile. They were not, even people you arrested, wasn't violent. There wasn't confrontational. It was, hey, it goes, it's part of the game, especially drug dealers. They knew what what came with it. It wasn't always adversarial. But when we had many incidents where we talked about discretion, where officers were, and we're not going to lock this guy up, although he should have been because of this or because of that. Because you didn't want to lock up everybody came in contact with that was doing something wrong. So I was always afraid that body camera would take away discretion. Yeah, yeah, that's a very, very good point. Um, I agree with you 100% on that. You know, and like I said, I was never concerned about anything that I would have done because I knew I was never abusing my powers or anything like that. And... I just I, 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 I feel for these guys and gals that are still in the profession because they're always being questioned about everything they do. And, I mean, you can't even say hello to anybody now without offending them, <laughs> yeah. you know. So it, it, it's a different time. You know, the, the profession for me, it was fun. I enjoyed the 20 years I put in. Um, but I'm glad I'm out now. And all of those officers are still out there putting in the fight, you know, stay strong, keep your head up, stay safe and just protect each other. And remember, the most important thing is going home at the end of the night. Right. And you you're in the Detroit suburbs and the leadership in American policing. uh, Let's just say there's a lot to be desired, except for people like James Craig, who is a police chief in Detroit. And we can go in any conversation about someone and there's pros and cons but people like him are rarity nowadays in big city policing are you fearful that when he leaves that this may have an impact on you your family your community um no no i'm i'm not because 
I know there's a lot of good officers here, and I and I know there's a lot of a good people. As a matter of fact, the one of the candidates that's going to be that's uh, in contention for his his as his, that's being listed as his replacement is the current chief of my old department, and he is a hell of a guy. So if he gets the job. The Detroit Police Department will be in very good hands. I'm glad you said that. Here's the reason why. When I left the department, I think it was better when I left than when I started. And I'm sure people that came before me said the same thing. There are so many great young men and women that do this job. And I mean to tell you, they have college degrees. A lot of them have military experience. A lot of them speak multiple languages. And they are really into doing this for the right reason. And 99.9% of the time, all the interactions are phenomenal. So when we don't honor them, I think we do a great disservice to not just our legacy, but the legacy of everybody out there still still doing the job. Yeah, I... I agree 100%, and that's why I enjoy doing my podcast, because my podcast is different from a lot of other law enforcement podcasts. You know, we don't get into policies and departments and things like that. It's all about the men and women, and I've had the, the pleasure of speaking to a lot of these these up-and-coming officers, and you're absolutely right. A lot of them are really on the ball, and I like to have the opportunity to, to allow – the, the public to get to meet these people on a personal level and see that there's more to them than just that uniform. Right. And there's a lot more to them than what's being portrayed by the media. Again, that incorporates everything. And when I started in 1980, Anthony, we had every walk of life in police work back then in Baltimore. We had lesbians, gays, blacks, Asians, atheists, Buddhists. It, it didn't matter. Jewish, it did not matter. All we cared about was you just did your job. And if I got into a big brawl, and if you were a five foot two female, if all you could do is hold an arm, then come in and hold an arm. Just do what you can do. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I, I I'm proud of the department that I that I worked at because, like you say, it didn't matter the, the the individual officer, the training that we were provided. As long as you 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 did what you were taught during your training, you, we knew that we were going to have each other's back and that we were going to be okay. And I, I, I think training has gotten a lot better. There's still not enough of it as far as I'm concerned, but it has gotten better. And I, I agree. I don't care what color, size, anything. No. When you put the uniform on, it's about going out there and making sure everyone goes home safely at the end of the day. Before we run out of time, tell us about your podcast, the name, and where people can find it and get more information. Yeah, the off-duty podcast, like I said, it's the podcast where we allow you to get up close with the men and women of uniform in the uniform and, and learn about the person behind the badge. Again, it's all about the men and the women and getting to know them on a, on a personal level. And my podcast, you know, like I said, it's different from a lot of the other podcasts out there. And when guests come on, a lot of them say they've had, it was probably one of their best interviews because they've, they've, they had a lot of fun. I try to make it fun for everyone to come on. And, you know, if you want to hear the podcast, it's right now it's on every podcast platform, no matter what you choose to listen to your podcast on, you can find us. Um, or you can just go to the website, theoffdutypodcast.com. Also, I have a podcast network um, for first responders and those that support us called the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network. If you go to uh, podcast or heroespodcastnetwork.com, you can see all the other shows that's part of the network. Um, we cover fire, EMT, 
doctors, military, law enforcement, all first responders. Anthony, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for your service, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.